grace, mercy, and peace are yours, from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And your brothers, my dear sisters, in Christ. What must I do to be saved? That's the million dollar question. That's the burning question on the hearts of every single person who has ever been born on planet Earth, including you, including me. You know people who are struggling with this question as we speak. You and I have struggled with it in our, in our own right, one time or another. What must I do to be saved? But that's why it's so good that you're here. That's why we're glad that you're here. Because in our text from Acts chapter 16, we get the answer to this very complex, deep, and philosophical question. We get a very simple answer. It is not complicated. But to get there, first of all, Paul and Silas are in prison. To missionaries from God. They were called, they were set apart to go preach the good news about Jesus Christ to people all over the all over the known world at that time. So here they were, coming into the Roman colony of Philippi. And scripture says they were looking for a house of prayer. They were looking for a church to start at to begin their mission work. But as they're making their way into Philippi, they have a tale. They're being followed. Somebody is trailing them. It's a girl. A girl who is a slave. A slave in two ways. First of all, she's a literal slave. She has owners. She is someone else's property. But second of all, she's demon-possessed. And the demon that has possessed her has given her this ability to tell people's fortunes. So her slave owners are charging people to come and hear their fortunes told. And as you can see, it's true in our day where people will pay out the nose to get their palms read, to get tarot cards read. They pay so much attention to the horoscope section of the newspaper or whatever. People love this. And so her slave owners make quite a killing. But this girl, this slave girl, this demon-possessed girl is, is traveling behind Paul and Silas. And she's shouting about them, or the demon inside her is shouting about them, saying, these are two missionaries who are going to preach to you, Jesus. They're here to show you who God is. That doesn't sound like anything's wrong with her saying that. It actually sounds like kind of, kind of like a compliment. What could be wrong with her shouting that these two men are glorifying God? Well, it's kind of like you parents when you hear your kids say, are we there yet? Or can, can I have some ice cream? It's a perfectly fine question on its own the first time you hear it, right? The 300th time kind of gets on your nerves. So here she is following Paul and Silas, shouting about them, repeating it over and over. And scripture says Paul got annoyed. He turns around. And in the name of Jesus, he commands the demon to get out of her. And Jesus does it. Jesus brings the demon out of this young girl. She gets her life back. She gets her personality back. She can be herself again. She's no, no longer tormented by the supernatural force. Fast forward, and Paul and Silas are in jail. Because they helped this little girl. Because remember, she had slave owners. 
and they were making a pretty penny by charging people to have her tell their fortune. So they took away this, the way that her slave owners were making money. And so they had them thrown into prison. Sure, they went to the, to the Roman police at the time, and they made up some stuff about insurrection, how Paul and Silas were leading a rebellion, but really, the answer was simple. The reason that they're in, in jail is not complicated. It was because they cut off their money-making scheme. So there they sit, in prison. Two missionaries called by God to spread the gospel. But because God had this plan for them, because God had a mission for them that involved them not being in prison, God sends an earthquake. The earthquake rattles the entire prison. It shakes the cage doors of those prison cells open. It, un uh, it loosens the, the, the stocks and the shackles that the prisoners are in. And now cue the jailer, the Roman guard, whose number one task, whose one job is to make sure no prisoner escapes. All he has to do is sit there and look tough and have his hand on his sword so that if anybody looks at him cross, they know that they're going to stay in jail. He wakes up because it's the middle of the night from a deep snooze. He sees his nightmare become a reality. The doors are wide open. He assumes the worst. He assumes that he's failed at his number one job. And he knows what that means. Because as soon as his boss finds out that he let the prisoners escape, what was going to happen to him? He would be publicly executed for failing at his job. And his family would be subjected to public disgrace because his wife would become the widow of the prison guard who couldn't do his one job. His kids would have to explain for the rest of their lives why they don't have a dad anymore. And so he grabs his sword. He draws it to use one last time on himself save his family. But before he can, he hears Paul's voice. Don't do this to yourself, Paul says. We are all still here. You have not failed. There is no reason to end your life. And just like that, the jailer at Philippi goes from a guy who was 100% ready to die, who thought he was going to die, to having his life back. Maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you almost got into a fatal car wreck, but you pressed the brake at just the right time, and a moment later you're filled with wonder and awe and thankfulness because you thought you might lose your life, but you haven't given back to you. That's probably how the jailer felt. And so he looks at Paul and Silas, and they seem like God to him because they gave him his life back. And he knows something about the message that they came to preach, so he knows that these are guys with some insider information, and then here comes the question. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You clearly know something about salvation. What must I do to be saved? It's a complex question. It's a deep philosophical question, but the answer is simple, isn't it? As much as you and I have struggled with the same question, as much as human beings have been tormented by this question of salvation, how can I be saved? The answer is really simple. We just tend to make it more complicated than it needs to be. The jailer at Philippi 
understood one thing very clearly that I think we all get. He assumes by asking this question that something must be done. He's, by asking what must I do to be saved, he's saying there has to be a change. I have to do something or something has to happen to me. I cannot stay the same guy I was two hours ago and expect to receive salvation. So Paul, Silas, tell me what it is. And that's something you understand, right? You know the feeling that we are not what we should be right now. Something has to change. Everyone gets that in their heart of hearts. And if you haven't asked the question in the same words, what must I do to be saved, it hasn't burned a hole in your heart. And you can tell by our attempts to answer it. What must I do to be saved? Here's what I mean by that. We try to answer the question the wrong way. Oftentimes, don't we? The jailer at Philippi asks, what must I do to be saved? But the, the sorry, the, the terrible answer is that there is nothing we can do to be saved. But we don't like that. There is a, a desire deep within our sinful nature to be able to take credit for our salvation. And this shows up in our answers to the question. Maybe you've caught yourself saying something like, I'm thankful that I'm not as bad as this person in the past was, or this group of people currently are. They need to get their act together. They should have listened to their parents more whether they were being raised. They should be in church. They should do this. They should do that. And what are we saying when we confess that if, we're, if not that salvation is defined by as long as you can be better than someone else, then you're good. Or maybe we say to ourselves, I'm not perfect right now, but at least I'm taking strides. I'm taking steps in a positive direction. I'm doing good with myself. And when we say that, aren't we defining salvation in terms of self and betterment? That as long as you can show that you're putting your best foot forward, that you're putting effort into your life, then you deserve salvation? No, brothers and sisters, that is overcomplicating the issue. The simple truth, when we get back to basics, is that what must I do to be saved is a bad question. The jailer asked it out of ignorance. We ask it out of our sinful pride. There is nothing I can do. My salvation, my faith, my Christianity is not defined by my performance by my accomplishments. It is not, salvation is not a matter of how much money I put into the plate, how many Sundays I give to God at church, how many hours I volunteer at church, or anything that I do. That's not salvation. Because when it comes down to salvation, there is nothing I can do. Because there's nothing in here but sin. That's the simple truth, brothers and sisters. It's not more complicated than that. We are just sinners who can do nothing for our own salvation. And once we get back to basics, once we understand that first simple truth, that we are sinners, then we're ready to hear the simple answer to the question. What must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas waste no time with the today. They say, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. 
Now wait a minute. Doesn't that sound like doing something? He says, what must I do? And they give him a command. They say, believe. Doesn't that sound like something you have to do in order to be saved? I asked my wife if there's milk in the fridge. She says, yes, there is milk in the fridge. I walk to the fridge, trusting that when I open the door, there will be milk. I believe my wife when she tells me that there is milk in the fridge. Now, did that take any effort on my part? No. Did I have to stop halfway to the fridge and flex a belief muscle and say, ooh, I better, I really, really hope that there's milk in that fridge when I get there? No. Belief is as simple as hearing, as listening. It's not something you put effort into yourself, is it? It's kind of like when your mom yells at you and says, listen. When she says that, do you stop and think, no, you know, I think I might start listening now. No, the very fact that she says it gets you to listen. It's the same way as telling the jailer of Philippi to believe in Jesus. The very command itself does what they're telling him to do. Paul and Silas waste no time after that because they tell him what to believe. They teach him. They show him Jesus. They give him the truth, the simple truth about Jesus. That yes, we are sinners, but that's exactly why Jesus came. That's why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus was baptized. You and I can't do a thing to obey God's law and earn salvation for ourselves. But Jesus came to give it to us. That's why he was baptized. He subjected himself to God's law. Became obedient even unto death, death on a cross for you. It's as simple as that. We're sinners, but Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus has saved you. It's as simple as that. Believe it. And that simple truth is why a jailer at Philippi, who knew nothing about Jesus days before this event, can go right into believing and on his way to salvation. That's why he can take Paul and Silas to his house and all of his family can hear the message about Jesus and be baptized and come into faith for their salvation through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. It's not about what they are doing, it's about what, they, what has been done for them. That's grace. So the question that we ask is not what must I do to be saved. The real question is what has already been done for you. Done for you is the perfect way to put it. Because we were right, there's nothing you can do for yourself. But God has accomplished it all. And that is the only way. The simple way to salvation is the only way to have true joy. Because if we make salvation all about ourselves and our accomplishments and what we can do, then you will always be left to wonder if you've done enough. If you make your salvation, your entire Christian identity about you belonging to a special club because you're so special, you'll always be left to wonder if you're in the right club or if you're special enough. But understanding those simple truths that we're sinners saved by Jesus is the only way to have true joy. I mean, look at Paul. 
to Cyrus. There they are sitting in prison for helping someone. But what do we see them doing? Are they weeping and wailing? Are they complaining? Are they griping? Are they begging the jailer, let us free, we didn't do anything wrong? None of that. They're singing hymns. They're praying out loud. They're focusing each other's hearts on their simple salvation from their Savior Jesus. Because that is the key to true joy in life, no matter what's going on. No matter if you're in prison, or watching the news, or stressed out about school, or work, or your body's hurting, no matter what's going on, focusing your heart and your mind on the simple salvation of Jesus Christ is the key to having joy. The key to enduring it. I mean, look at the jailer and his family and everything that happened to them. As soon as they heard the instruction about Jesus Christ, they were filled with joy. It made them happy to hear about the simple salvation of Jesus. Remember that, brother. When life doesn't go so well, when people are angry around you, when you're anxious, when you're worried, when you're scared, sing a hymn, pray a prayer, focus your heart on Jesus and his simple salvation, his simple love for you. And who knows? Maybe, like Paul and Silas, there will be another prisoner right next to you, listening to you, watching you, witnessing you, witnessing you live your joy for Jesus. Maybe, like what happened to Paul and Silas, they will come up to you and they will say, clearly you know something I don't. What must I do to be saved? If you have your answer, it's not complicated. Believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. It's as simple as that. Amen.